Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new Third Nerd. This is Third Nerd, the official. This is this is the mothership. This is the main load. This is where this is where Joe and I break down football and Marvel. Uh, so with that, I, I think I should get right to it and introduce my co-host, Mr. Joe Goodberry. Uh, Joe, uh, how are you? And uh, let the people know what you do out there. I live life mostly, but I'm doing good. I'm a little sunburned right now. Uh, all day outside, sun at baseball today and opening day, so 9 a.m. to about 4 o'clock of being outside. And, uh, yeah, I got, got, got a little sunburned. But on the football side, uh, that's where I've mostly, I guess, made a name for myself and on the Internet. Uh, I mostly Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, follow them and analyze them and break down film and try and relay the what you see on 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 the field into layman's terms and the casual fan terms and you know player evaluation is probably my wheelhouse I would say NFL draft things in that area and uh, been doing it for about six or seven years writing and and using the internet to uh, promote my work I guess and, and it's been mildly successful. I would say so. I mean. It certainly brought you a bevy of followers, though there's debates on whether or not that's a good or a bad thing on Twitter. Like, Very true. I know, I know people with hundreds of thousands of followers that have told me, like, dude, I would trade with you in a heartbeat. Like, <laughs> my inbox never sleeps. But uh, in the amount of crazy that comes with each, like, thousand followers, you get about 20 crazies and it yeah. just happens so if the more it grows the more nuts are in your timeline trying to tear you down and the more people you have to like try and explain like i i mean i i feel obligated to interact with people and so every so often i mean now don't get me wrong there are times when when you deal with the crazies but but here's how they get you man they lure you in with what you think is okay this is halfway intelligent conversation and then it just nosedives off a cliff man <laughs> like yeah. i mean it just greg luganis triple gainer just i i mean couldn't hit the water fast enough and you're just like wow i mean to borrow from anchorman like that escalated fast you yeah know? i mean like, <laughs> And, really and, it, out of hand. and it happens the same way in real life. You never know how in depth you should go in a conversation with someone you meet. And you know, say you meet someone uh, out and they want to talk football. Great, I, we can talk football, but I don't know how crazy I should get. How deep should I get? So it's always like, okay, you, you test the waters, and the next thing you know, they're telling you how Drew Bledsoe is better than Tom Brady, and you're like, okay, you're one of those guys. So, you know, the conversation pretty much doesn't go any further. Twitter's the same way. You don't know where the conversation goes on the next tweet. The guy could be a complete nut job. Yeah, I, I mean, the, those are the ones where they're like, a, after they tell you that and then they ask what you do, you're like, oh, I'm a Titleist, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't I don't work anywhere near sports. I, I have nothing to do with football. Don't talk yeah. to me about football. I know nothing. Right. <laughs> and, and I don't, uh, I mean, I have, been paid to watch football and uh, as recent as last year but that is not my main job that's not my nine to five so uh it, that throws people off sometimes too yeah i think it just always throws people off when they discover that you mean journalism doesn't pay well no believe it or not it doesn't like most people have to do other things um 
But uh, as is the the way of the, the gun on this show, what we traditionally do is we discuss things in downs, which is why hence third nerd. We go through about four downs of topics, alternating between uh, various geek topics. More often than not, will be Marvel, but Star Wars and video games definitely. I mean, it, it just it really depends. Marvel's just sort of the the always there with us. Um, and, uh, but uh, in that, we also try and mix up football uh, as well as the Marvel talk so that fans get a, a little bit of nerd and a little bit of sport. Um, because, frankly, that's what our lives are. So, I mean, this is our podcast here in our house. So if you would like to hang out, pull up, grab a chair for the next hour or so, and uh, we're going to be talking some sports and some nerd crap. Mostly crap. Yeah, mostly crap. All right. So first things to I this was going around on Twitter and, and I feel like I want to touch on this first because it's sort of fading away in relevancy. It was bilked for what it was. Um I I think for as many articles as you could possibly get out of it. Um certainly every outlet had their opinion on it. But after the draft occurred, we saw again teams trading up to grab a quarterback, and um, some of the things that made their way around were teams that had traded up the team name adjacent to the quarterback that they traded up to get, and then just by looking at the team name and the quarterback, you're supposed to be able to infer how well they did. And obviously, a lot of names on that list are names that you would recognize more as busts than boom. Um, but, and and this has been my problem with it, I think it lacks context. I mean, it's fine to say this quarterback was drafted here, but, you know, was the coach fired the next season? Did the next coach that come that came in maybe not have – uh, uh, a preference for that guy uh, did did was he not a fit for the offense you know uh, what was the mentorship like when he arrived um, but before we get into any of that I just want to ask you like I mean and, and you say this is because player evaluation is in your wheelhouse I hear this all the time if you're a hundred percent sure that the quarterback is your guy if you know if you've put him through the paces, if you've had him out, if you've had him through team meetings, had him put him through the little private workouts, flown him out, flown him under the radar, done all the little crap that you do when you want to sign a high-profile quarterback in the draft, if you know that that is your guy, do you make the move? Is that the smart play? And I think most people listening right now will say, well, no one knows. None of these teams know for sure. And, yeah, okay, so first of all, you they don't know for sure. But they have to feel confident as and as confident as you possibly can be before you make any pick, not just quarterback. Uh, you know the gravity of choosing a quarterback already. These evaluators, scouts, and GMs, and coaches, they know it's not an automatic pick. Even Andrew Luck had some 
doubters of people saying, ah, maybe he can't do this, can't do that. And that's probably the cleanest quarterback prospect uh, since I've been doing this, I mean, a long time. So, yes, if you get to the process where you've put him through everything, you know, uh, mentally, physically, uh, tape, uh, all the analytics you could, and it says this guy is a franchise quarterback. You get to the point, it's not 100% guarantee, but you all feel in that room and in that team that this is the franchise guy, and this is the one out of all of them. Uh, you don't you don't mess around with that. If you feel that confident in that, you you spend whatever it takes to get that player because no, if the system in which they played in college has a it, it's notorious. Like okay, I look at golf and and in particular guys like Mahomes who played in air raid systems and things like that. Air raid quarterbacks traditionally bottom out in the NFL. I don't know why. I don't have an explanation for it. I I I, I have some guesses. But that doesn't mean just because you're an air raid quarterback that you will fail. That just means that's what's been the trend. It's all part of the evaluation process. Like you said, I don't think they just would throw a guy off because of the uh, because of the offense he played in. It just is another part of, okay, can he do this? Can he make this throw? Can he make this read? Uh, can he call plays in the huddle? It's just all part of the process. And if at the end they feel comfortable or they feel like it's not an issue or that he has progressed even from the last time they've taken a college snap to the first time they met with him to the last time they met with him that he's picked it up, uh, that's, like I said, all part of the process. And if they feel comfortable at that point, I, I think teams look past a lot of those those question marks or those trends that may say uh, a guy won't won't pan out in the NFL. So let's say you buy into this guy. What then do you say to the fact, though, that the list of people who have traded up for quarterbacks is not overly successful? Like. Well, correlation is not causation, but right. that doesn't mean that that, that that graph is completely useless. What can we take away from that? I don't know. I know what you mean because I, I look at it too and I say, yeah, all right, uh, history is not on their side um, when it comes to trading up for a guy. But that's not a reason to do, do – you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm with you. Right. But for me, if you believe that guy is the guy – I don't care if the last 100 quarterbacks or even one of any position you're about to take has busted. Uh, each quarterback or each player is isolated in that draft evaluation. So uh, you don't totally throw out trends or history and bet against history and, and, and take guys that may be, uh, uh, you know, uh, outliers, if you will. But that that list of quarterbacks that says if you trade up, it's not going to pan out. Each one of them is situational. Uh, if you're giving up a buttload of picks and your roster isn't very good and you're probably a bad team as it is, chances are you're putting that quarterback in a bad situation anyways. So it, it would all depend on your team. How, uh, how long is the coach going to be there? How, how stable is the talent around him? How stable is the system you're putting him into? Um, so I wouldn't look at that, that list and, and weigh too heavily with it. For me, if you're a GM, and I, I, if you really feel that guy's the guy, you pay whatever it is to get it because your team, the only way you're going to change the fate of a franchise is by getting a franchise quarterback. It's the only way, the only proven way. You can build an elite defense. You can build a great run game with an offensive line, but it's not sustainable. It's not going to get you maybe more than one ring. And then, and not, not saying that the, I'm not going to scoff at that, but 
for long-term sustainable success, the only way to get it is by getting a franchise quarterback. And whatever it costs to get it, if you actually find the guy, uh, you'll look back and say it was worth it. And ultimately, it really comes down to, I think, uh, it's, it's, it's not just what the situation that the quarterback is placed into. I truly do think that, all right, you take a look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers who sat and marinated under Brett Favre. Now, say what you will about Favre's tutelage. Um, he's never really been spoken highly of as a team player or a a non-me-first guy uh, to, to any circles that I understand about Mr. Favre. Um, but, he, you know, Aaron Rodgers was still able to learn quite a bit, I'm sure, by sitting and learning under Favre. And I, I cannot help but think that one of the reasons Aaron Rodgers is considered in some years to be the best quarterback in the NFL is because he sat under a guy who, for all intents and purposes, was at one point the best quarterback in the NFL, or at least for a year. You know, um, he, he, he certainly Brett Favre owns every number that there is to own, um, though Tom Brady and Peyton Manning have had their fair share. But, I mean, when you talk about what there is to do, who there is to throw to, how many throws there are to make, Brett Favre's made them all, and that includes interceptions. So I, I, I do think that tutelage has something to do with that. And I can't help but notice that that's a commodity in short supply in today's NFL. Tell me where you find a seasoned veteran actually teaching somebody. Because I don't even think that occurs in New England. Now, maybe it is with Jimmy Garoppolo because New England has been very hesitant to let him go, in, if you believe the, the, the trade talks. New England has not wanted to let that guy go. That may be indicative of the fact that they believe he can be a long-term successor to Tom Brady because they've not had that sort of, uh, 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 I don't know, <laughs> they they didn't care as much about other uh, backup quarterbacks, guys no. like Mallet in the past. They were right. – they were they were all too happy to move them along. But Garoppolo seems to be not. You want him, you're going to pay a hefty price. And that, to me, means that one of two things. Either the Patriots are really, really good at playing poker or they just think he's the long-term future. So out, But outside of that situation, like, where do you even find a guy who's sitting and learning these days? It's mostly guys who get chucked into the fire. Because there's not enough quarterbacks to go around. There's not enough good quarterbacks for you to take a guy in the first round or even in the in the top of the second round and say, uh, our starter is better than this guy we just drafted and uh, we can afford to let this guy sit and fix his flaws. I don't think you can actually fix a lot of your mechanics and a lot of your natural and innate traits that come out when the bullets are flying uh unless you're sitting on the bench and working on them consistently without seeing live action fire aaron Rodgers needed to fix a lot of things tyrod taylor i remember needed to fix a lot of things and if you can sit on the bench two years maybe even three in some cases which is crazy uh you can actually fix a lot of your mechanical issues that break down when the pressure comes or, or when a, when something doesn't go exactly right in the in the offense and 
I, I think when you see a guy like I think of Tim Tebow, you know, they they wanted to change his mechanics, they wanted to change his throwing motion, and he would tighten it up in the beginning of the season. Blake Bortles is a recent guy that does this every off season. He tightens up his throwing mechanics, and then the bullets start flying, and he looks exactly the way he did in college. He you you revert to your natural ability and to your natural uh, uh, technique and your natural throwing motion. So I think it's extremely hard to change who you are when you're actually playing. Uh, but it's hard to bench these guys because your starter probably isn't better than a guy you just spent a first-round pick on. Now, I think a great situation right now is Patrick Mahomes going to the Chiefs behind Alex Smith. I don't think Alex Smith is great, but I think the Chiefs can get in the playoffs with him. He understands a lot, too. Yeah, and you can let Mahomes now sit for two years. Maybe even, you know, if, if they can get that long, get that far out of him before the, the fans push him in and, and force them to play Mahomes a little bit early. But that's ideal. If you can let Mahomes sit for two years and you work out the kinks and you uh, refine him a little bit and he's watching Alex Smith, Mahomes needs to be, be more, a little bit more conservative. And you're going to watch probably the most conservative quarterback in the league for two years. I think that's a perfect situation, but those rarely ever happen. So here are the Chiefs trading up for a guy, you know, spending massive resources for, for a quarterback when they have a decent guy already there. But it's a great situation with Andy Reid watching Alex Smith, and you've got a super talented guy in Pat Mahomes. Uh, that's when the situation where a trade-up, I, I really like it. But then you look at the Texans. And Deshaun Watson, he's got some flaws, and I don't like who's starting in front of him if it's Tom Savage, and I'm not sure Bill O'Brien has gotten the best out of quarterbacks. uh, Yeah, which is really striking to me because Bill O'Brien, when he was hired, was basically known as a quarterback whisperer. I mean, this guy of all people is supposed to be – and it's been kind of the same situation with Kingsbury – at Texas A&M, like, that guy is a quarterback. He's supposed to be able to understand quarterbacks, yet he's had more quarterbacks transfer out from underneath him, uh, well, almost more. Uh, Kevin Sumlin owns that record. But, hmm. you know, I, I, I mean, I, an alternative to that is I look at the, the, the Giants, okay? They've got Josh Johnson, Geno Smith, and then they drafted Davis Webb this year. That's right. How is Davis Webb a replacement for Eli Manning? Uh, I don't think he is. I don't think he is. You know, right. it, even if it ends up being two years down the line, you end up drafting a guy anyway. So I, they did the same with Ryan Nassib a few years ago. And, uh, you know, unless your quarterback's ready to – retire or you have a clear path or you spent a high pick on that guy to, to replace him, it it seems silly to spend those mid-round picks on a, on a quarterback unless you're looking at him as a long-term backup. Which is why I'm kind of enamored with what Denver's doing. And they've been pretty adamant, and, and this is according to Ben Albright, who has his sources in Denver, obviously living there in Colorado, but um, he's been pretty adamant that, that – uh, um, Paxton Lynch is going to be a two-year project with Denver. And, and, you know, you look at a guy like John Elway and you say, yeah, this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. Like, this is – that's probably the best of what I could ask for in today's football. Yeah. You're not going to get another situation where Aaron Rodgers sits under Brett Favre for five years. That is not going to happen in today's game. That's over. That's done with. Two years – Two to three years is probably the most that you're going to get. And that's going to be rare. Yeah, yeah. By the end of year two, you're going to have people trying to push the guy out, especially if the playoff push isn't going the right way 
or if the record's starting to tail off because you sense locker room support dwindles because it all it all plays a role once the team starts to sense that 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 another quarterback is going to be the guy it's only natural to start falling in step with that guy like you don't want to be the last guy getting aboard the bus you want to be one of the first guys on it and of course there's pressure from the front office because now after three years, you have to make a decision on their fifth-year option, which pays them a ton of money. So you can't let them sit for two years and then make that decision off of one year starting. I think the pressure is to get him in there after one year. And at most, you know, if you can get him in there a little bit at the end of his rookie year, I think most teams look at that as an ideal situation. And as we've seen, it doesn't seem like that's long enough to developmental time. So uh, it's funny to think of those days going being gone of where guys can sit. But then again, I do like the Chiefs situation. I do think the Bears maybe have the right idea by signing Glennon and saying we, we're, we'll sit Trubisky. But I don't think Glennon's better than Trubisky. So they're going to have that dilemma where they say, okay, well, that was the plan, but now the rookie's better than, than the veteran. So we got to go with them earlier than expected. Yeah, I kind of suspect that a lot of the – those situations are going to pop up around the league because for the first time in a long time, the quality of starting quarterback across the league is really poor. I mean, you have some guys at the top. I mean, you're Tom Brady, you're Aaron Rodgers, you're Eli Manning, depending on the year. You know, uh, Drew Brees is still up there. I, I, yeah, but Drew Brees, I'm a Saints guy. Drew Brees just tosses for yards. It doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. I mean, that offense can put up 5,000 yards every season. Where, show me the wins. Show the me defense, the that defense is terrible, though. Their right, whole, whole roster construction's been bad. Oh, yeah, but the, but the running game was crap, too, and they stuck with Mark Ingram forever. Now, granted that that started to pay off a little, but, you yeah. have to wait five years for your running back to develop. Like that's, that's not five, ideal. No, no, that's not ideal at all. So I don't know, man. Like I, I'm, I, Drew Brees is an elite NFL quarterback, no doubt, but he ain't doing anything worth a damn over there. Um, I would put like your guys like Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, and Tom Brady, and maybe Eli Manning as like elite quarterbacks who are competing year in and year out. I'm still waiting for Andrew Luck to make that jump. I love Andrew Luck. I think Luck is in that category. I love him too, but I don't think he's there yet. I need to see something out of him. I need to see something defining. I think you would if he had any semblance of an actual roster on that team. And I love their draft. I love their offseason. I think they're getting – this probably be the best team he's had, or at least close to it after that rookie year. Um, so I, I really like the the yeah, that rookie going year forward. Wasn't bad actually. That no, because the te- that was still Peyton Manning's team for the most part. They had that down year, and then his, you know, that that following year, he still had some decent players around him. But I think since then they've gone downhill with the roster talent. And I think what Luck does with nothing around him is is nothing short of tremendous. I, I he's a one he's a playoff win or deep playoff run, and I think they can you know eventually win a Super Bowl in his career from him cementing himself as one of our top three or four quarterbacks in the league. I think he can be. I I was high on that kid coming out of Stanford. Um, I watched. I was there at the Coliseum when he and Matt Barkley went three overtimes against each other and Stanford came out on top. 
that was as good of a football game as you'll ever ask for, man. But but in that, you saw Andrew Luck just do some remarkable things to keep Stanford alive when SC thought they had them. And just, I can't even begin to tell you how frustrating it is to watch somebody that good knowing that there's nothing you can do. <laughs> oh, well, the Bengals lost to the Colts in the playoffs a few years ago. And uh, the difference between Andy Dalton and Andrew Luck was uh, enough to make Probably me not want to be a fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seismic. But but all right, so so we're both in agreement that the 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 the, the graph is is BS under the notion that you don't trade up for a quarterback simply because those guys are a bust. But would you at least agree, and then we can move on. Would you agree that the process of selecting a quarterback is something that needs a desperate overhaul? Because I truly believe there are signs if you're willing to look at them. Like, look, I know that you can't always say no to an air raid quarterback, but having that as a policy isn't a bad one, I don't think. Saying, I'm not going to draft anybody who's played in anything that resembles an air raid system because I don't trust them to be able to go through progressions. And if they cannot go through progressions, then they have no value in the NFL. And the vast majority of guys who come out of those systems, they're one read and go. And it's, 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 it's guys running four verts, you know. You can't do that in the NFL. It doesn't exist. So I, I, I've never understood the obsession with those types of quarterbacks. Now, that being said, sometimes you've got guys who play in that system but have the capability and grew up playing in other types of systems. So you you have to look at the overall body of what a quarterback is capable of doing. What were they doing in high school? You know, what type of system were they running? Is this a guy that – it may be high school, but were they changing plays at the line of scrimmage then? How much ownership did they have then? You know, that's why, to me, I, I looked at Derek Carr, and, and I knew. Like, I was I covered Fresno State when Derek was there. And I I looked at that draft, and I said, if you rewrite this draft, I, I can guarantee it that Derek Carr is going to end up being, by far and away, would have been the number one overall pick. And and it was silly to me that the number of teams who came out to his pro day. I cannot stress this enough. The Vikings and the Raiders were about the only teams that sent anybody of consequence. And, indeed, that's who it ended up coming down to. The Vikings ended up going with Teddy Bridgewater to end the first round. The Raiders with, you know, basically what amounted to the first pick in the second round grabbed Derek Carr. And and both teams have been fairly happy ever since. Though so I think the Raiders are liking their future a bit more. Yeah, because Bridgewater uh, got hurt. I do. I did like Bridgewater, and I do like what Bridgewater has shown. Other than obviously getting right. his knee hurt. destroyed for no reason. Uh, right. <laughs> but I, the one thing I wanted to bring up the point of drafting quarterbacks is I, the thing I think we're why it makes it so hard and different from other positions is. A lot of the analytics don't apply at quarterback because it, like you said, depends on the system for, for yards and touchdowns and completion percentage, things like that. But athletic testing is a, it's getting bigger and bigger and 
qualifiers and passing through But tell, through me, thresholds. tell me this, just based on your nose, just based on your nose, okay, coming out this year, regardless of what happens, how would you rank – all right, not regardless of what happens because injury, stupidity, but barring any of that stuff happening how would you rank the quarterbacks coming out? Like saying, okay, this guy is ready to play in the NFL right now. What would you be looking at in college? See, the hardest part was I thought Trubisky was the best prospect for quarterbacks. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about forget this past draft class. I'm talking about upcoming 2018. Right. You know, it's tough because I I think a lot – changes. I, I think a lot of times people get in trouble with projecting quarterbacks for the next year. They say, okay, this guy can be the next, this guy can be a future number one pick. Yeah. And they never progress really, or they never take the next step. So when, when, and then you'll see fans, well, weren't, weren't people calling this guy the first round, the first overall pick? And I don't think that's accurate. I, think I remember the, Matt Barkley being said, if he would have come out prior to coming yeah. back and giving Lane Kiffin that ornament, I remember people saying, like, this is a top-five NFL pick because he had that one aberration of a year. Yeah. And, and I kept pointing out, if you go back and look at his junior season, he had the exact same thing happen. He had an extremely average high school career with one standout year, and that's exactly what ended up happening in 2012. He regressed back to the mean, which is the same thing he did in high school. And then in the NFL, what did he do? He became an interception machine because that's what he did in high school. But but when he had thrown for 39 touchdowns and only seven interceptions in Lane Kiffin's pro-style offense, he was the consensus top quarterback who was foolish to come back. And, you know, I think the problem is that always happens. People will say, well, if this guy would have come out or if this guy didn't get injured, he'd be a top ten pick. Nah, nah. It's because it's because we don't put them under a microscope when they don't come out. So, you know, you say, oh, this guy would have been a top ten pick, and then he, he goes under the microscope the next year, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure this guy's a top two round pick, or I'm not sure he's a top 25 pick. And what happened to him? Nothing happened. He's still the same guy. Now you actually have to make that decision, and you have to put him under a microscope, and you have to look at him and look at his flaws and wonder if he can overcome them. And I think that's why sometimes that confusion is there. Is uh, is it's We expect the guy to take the next step, and you think it's automatic. And a lot of times, guys are – players are who they are for much of their college careers and NFL career. It just – Sometimes their strengths get enhanced and their weaknesses get exploited, and that's basically your good and bad games. I think you are what you want for the most part, and if we looked at it a little bit clearer, I think it could be a little bit easier. I can't remember who said it. I want to say it might have been uh, Dan uh, Hatman, I believe, or um, and I had him on, and he was like, save for Drew Brees, who came back from surgery with a stronger arm than I've ever seen. Like, I, I've, I've never seen a quarterback change his stripes. Like, it doesn't happen, you know. Like, Breeze came out of surgery, apparently, with twice the arm strength he had when he yep. went in. <laughs> and, and Rogers had three years to sit, and you, he definitely came back bigger and a little bit stronger. So, I mean, those things happen, but they're rare. Those are rare instances. Yeah, I, 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 
I maintain that honestly Rogers was good to go when he was at Cal. Like he he understood enough. I think he would have been fine had he started in the NFL right away. But I think sitting behind Brett Favre, as painful as it may have been for him, was maybe the best thing that ever happened to him because now there's no denying what he is. Right. Like he he is just quite simply one of the best in the game and might be for, you know, anybody's money, the best quarterback outside of Tom Brady. And the most I don't he's, know. he's probably the most talented quarterback to ever play. Yeah, he's certainly way more athletic than Tom Brady. Like he honestly reminds me of Steve Young. Like yep. He he reminds me of Steve Young in that he can stretch plays. He's absolutely fearless. He's arrogant as all hell. He's not afraid to put the ball up. The only thing he's missing is just like that crushingly punishing running game, like which they were hoping to get from an Alabama back, which much like USC quarterback seemed to be uh... – <laughs> oh, actually, how was Derrick Henry's uh, rookie year? It was okay. It, he struggled a lot, and then, yeah. you know, he, he had some decent, you know, what you would expect from Derrick Henry, I guess. I guess. I, I I had heard most of the assessments that I had heard on him would were that the, the amount of time that it took for him, the play for to develop with him was going to be what killed him in the NFL. Like I could see that. That was that was the number one complaint that I heard on him. But so yeah, I mean uh, to to end this one and move on to our next topic, there really is no answer to quarterbacks. I don't think. Like at the end of the day, it's as much of a game of dice as there is with any other position. Only probably more so because you've got fewer to choose from, um, and they've they they. they it's got to strike on so many different levels. It has to strike at an organizational level. It has to strike at a scheme level. It has to strike at a personality level. Like there are just so many damn things that factor into whether or not a quarterback is successful and whether or not you traded up for it is not the defining characteristic. So that grass grass. That's what we've decided. But moving on uh, to Guardians of the Galaxy, now, if at this point you've not seen the movie, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I feel like it's been in movies, what, now, for about a month? Yeah, three weeks, right? Yeah, three weeks. Yeah, all right. I mean, so I won't go too spoiler-heavy, but I won't stay away from some things. Um, overall thoughts, man. How, how How did this movie strike you as compared to the first? Was it... Was it uh, an improvement? Was it worse? Was it the same? I think part of the fun of the first one and the excitement and the pleasure was the unknown and the unexpected. Uh, For the brief knowledge I had of Guardians of the Galaxy, it was still even different than the comics. The the first movie and the characters were all, they all had their different quirks that weren't in the comics or, or anything that, you know, previous to the movie. Uh, and I think they definitely continued that trend in, into the second, into the sequel. Uh, so that, that, that appeal 
that same appeal, that same fun of seeing something new or, or seeing something completely unexpected wasn't there. But I think they, I think honestly, it was a really, really good movie. I don't think it was a home run in the same way the first one was because I had no expectations with the first one. And naturally, you're going to have them. Now you have a connection with those characters. Now uh, you're going to have some things you expect or some things you, you want to see that maybe weren't fulfilled. And then there was a lot of, a lot of, character progression that you do want to see. I loved what they did with Drax and really fleshed him out and gave him more lines and and let him show his character a little bit more. I think they did the same with Rocket. And uh, Star-Lord kind of took a little bit of a back seat in some of the jokes and some of the uh, being Han Solo-ish. I guess he, you got to see more of his personality and more, more of his uh, emotion, and, and which was great, obviously, this 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 movie's about his father and and, and finding out who his father is and uh, overall I, I want to see it again because I'm sure there's a there was a lot of things I'm sure I missed because they did a lot of fan service and and hinted to a lot of like the old older guardians showing up throughout the movie and, and uh, things like that and I definitely want to see it again I thought it was a very good movie I'm not sure it's a Marvel top five movie I don't think it was better than the first one but they didn't miss a stride here at all. I think they they definitely hit another home run, and and Guardians has started off probably the strongest out of all of their franchise uh, their trilogies, at least uh, most of them. Number one, number two, both great movies. So I, I don't think you can say that with any of the other uh, yeah Cap, Marvel Cap movies. Found his stride after Winter Soldier, I think. Exactly. Like, First Avenger was a, was a solid film, but Winter Soldier elevated cat to that next level writing next level directing next level action the political thriller like winter soldier is a top five film for all of those reasons and will remain a top five five film because of how good it was in that Mm -hmm. regard like um and then iron man i think iron man 2 kind of was a step back because i feel like iron man was really good iron man as a, as, as a whole, as a step back, like I overrated. Yeah, I I I could care less for Stark. Even in the I comics, know. <laughs> even 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 in the comics, Stark causes everything. He's the he is the cause of every problem. That well, they stayed true to that then. Yeah, that's true. At least they have. There is that. Um, but you know what though? I mean, you need somebody in that role because there's always going to be somebody who is in that role as a superhero. And if it's not Tony Stark, it's Carol Danvers and they tend to, to, to swap that role interchangeably or Cap who leads, you know, with a heavy hand himself. Um, I, I personally thought the movie was at least as good as the second. I, I thought it was a bit more emotional. I thought it took a, a few more chances. What I really enjoyed about it were the amount of Easter eggs it had. Yeah. Uh, Especially, we'll probably get to it, but Stanley's cameo, I think, is the best of all of them. Yeah, because there's been a fan theory that he's been a watcher the whole time because he's always everywhere, which is what, you know, not that he is Uatu, but those who know Uatu will will be familiar with the fact that he just kind of shows up everywhere. He's always watching. He's the watcher. That's his job, to watch. Yeah, they just watch and report, right? That's, they don't they don't influence anything. They're not supposed to. At well, least they're, they're not supposed to. Right. He, 
he the only person who's worse at his job in Uatu is probably <laughs> Ultron. Like okay, Uatu is yeah. pretty bad at his job. And not not getting involved. Right, like he always gets involved. In 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 fact, yeah, I I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting. I'm I'm curious to see how things are are going to move forward in the new Marvel universe because they've killed the living tribunal. Um Lord Order and Lord Chaos have, so that 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 happened in the comics. We have we have a reordering of of and Eternity is chained up somewhere, so we don't know who has Eternity bound and, and, and chained, and it's Galactus's job to find out who's done it, because um, Galactus is now the life bringer. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, Galactus is a good guy. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, getting back on track, I, I, I really enjoyed the film. I thought, I thought it hit a lot of great notes. I thought that it had, um, like you said, it developed a lot with characters, you know, whether it was were Rocket or Drax. I know a lot of people are complaining, though, and I, and I take this criticism well, that Drax is the destroyer. He's not Drax the comic relief. He's right. Drax the destroyer. And I will say that I understand fans who are annoyed by that because even through to – I don't mind that he's funny, but where is Drax the destroyer? You know what I mean? And we like, got to see a little bit of it in the first one where he was – Unending wanted to fight Thanos. He wanted to kill him. Ronan too. Ronan, yeah, yeah, and, and 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 we saw that, and then it just, you know, I mean, cool. He had that one one fight scene with Korath where he made that stupid joke, "Finger to the throat means death," and it's like, well, it's a great joke, but you're you're Drax, you know, like your job is to kick ass, like your sole job is actually to kill Thanos. That is what you do. And they've yet to even get there, which I I think is, is, is a source of frustration because that actually is Drax's job in the comics. Like, he's the one who's been empowered with the ability to do it. <laughs> but you, you know what? The payoff might be worth it now because they've shown how emotional he is in the first one. He, oh, he Straight revenge. And then he found a new family in the Guardians. And now you see in this one he gets connected a little bit with with Mantis and they have that that moment when he's thinking about his daughter which really got me teary-eyed in the in the theater uh but you know that emotion in, is inside of him and that 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 you know it's going to be unleashed at some point and I think when we get to Infinity Wars when we get to Guardians 3 we probably are going to see Drax in a situation where he lets it all out and hopefully against Thanos you know I I think everyone wants to see that eventually but and I think then we'll see, okay, there's Drax, the destroyer, the, the, the guy who could stand up with most anyone in, in the MCU, really. And I want to see it, too, eventually. Yeah, and hopefully it does happen. You know, I, I mean, like you said, Marvel's made some changes to these characters. But it's also important to note that the MCU is meant to be different. Yep. That's it's a different point. universe. It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's not the Marvel recreation of the comics universe. It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, much like the Ultimate Universe or much like 1602, like it is a different universe. 
um, in, in, in the multiverse that is Marvel, it is a different one. So um, it'll be interesting to see, I think, uh, what ends up happening with the Guardians uh, trilogy. Um, I did note this. Um, I thought it was real interesting because now we know Inhumans has been moved over and we talked a little bit, or we were going to talk a little bit about this. I don't know if we did on the previous podcast. We, we talked a little bit, yeah. But, but Inhumans has been moved to the TV slot. Now, what's, what's curious about that is that Guardians is actually taking over as that final slot at the end of Phase 3, uh, thereby launching us into Phase 4 and beyond whatever Phase 4 will be. We don't yet know. Um, and they felt like Guardians was the perfect vehicle to do this. I honestly felt like Inhumans was the perfect vehicle to do this because the only thing missing in your made-up universe at this point are enhanced individuals. I mean, you've introduced a handful of them, but, I mean, come on, you know. Um, but, hey, I would understand if Marvel isn't going to do it. Um, they've said they would like to have all their characters back, but... I could see Fox parting with Fantastic Four simply yeah. because, like Sony, they're going to hit a wall where people just won't go and see it. So it becomes more costly to keep it than it does to kick it back to Marvel. That would be one I would be okay with simply because you I, – like, I don't give two craps about the first family – and they can stay buried as far as I'm concerned. Just give me Doctor Doom, Silver Surfer, the Heralds, and Galactus. I was going to say that, yes. I'm with you 100%. Give me those things, and I don't care if I ever see a fan. That's a whole other phase. Life. That's a whole other phase of, of the MCU without even the Fantastic Four. Oh, yes. Annihilus? Like, the Kree, Scroll, War, have yep. the Secret Invasion, like... Give me that stuff. Do not give me anything at all to do with the Fantastic Four because they suck. Um, They're just but, not that interesting anymore, honestly. They, 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 they were interesting in the 60s. Right. They were like this wholesome family that had problems, and families were able to enjoy them because you didn't talk about your problems in the 60s. You internalized them. So reading them on the comic book pages, you could see your – you know, the marital problems that Sue and Reed had. Right. You could see sibling issues. Out. Yeah, people could relate to it and and, and so on and so forth. So, so I, I think it had relevance back then. But as, you know, as the Marvel comics expanded, like, I'm sorry, people started to fall in love with things like the symbiotes, like Galactus, like Thanos, like, you know, just... We fell in love with different characters. You know, your Wolverines came to the limelight, not because they were brutal, but because nobody gives a crap about four people living together, man. Like, it's... They became more interesting as they got more split up, to be honest. Yeah, when, like, Spider-Man and... Yeah, and She-Hulk. More interesting. Yeah, She-Hulk was was another one I was going to say. Uh... Um, Spider-Man and She-Hulk, when they joined, like, that actually made it more interesting. Right. But Sue, Sue Storm leaving Mr. Fantastic. We're getting, we're getting off track. We could probably talk yeah, Fantastic Four on another yeah, down. Sue Storm leaving him was like the high... Or, or Reed 
or uh, Franklin going like completely yeah. crazy. Yeah, Franklin was too. awesome. Yeah, because he's a he's like one of the most powerful mutants in the entire world. But you know, the other thing that I would love out of that is give me Owen Reese, give me Molecule Man. I need like Molecule Man would be okay. Like, just simply because Molecule Man is the single most powerful character in the entire Marvel Universe. It would change some things, for sure. <laughs> but, but, uh... I was going to say, to stay on second down in Guardians, to bring it back, um, big thing for me is Yandu. I thought his development was fantastic, and then, obviously, spoilers, he's dead at the end. Yeah, I uh I think that that was somewhat stunning to me that 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 Yondu died at the end. Um I understand why they did that and I really do apologize if you haven't seen this film, but we said we were going to do some spoilers. Um but you know what, man, the most emotional part of that movie, the part that got me, the part that made me cry was because you had Martin X and uh, Starek, uh, you know, telling Yondu, and we should have seen it coming because they told him at the beginning of the film, you'll never have a Ravager funeral. Well, that right. was sort of an innocent. Yeah, I didn't say, even think it? of that. You're right. <laughs> the foreshadowing there was written on the wall, and I didn't even think of it. Right. Like, they basically told us what was going to happen. My wife, by the way, pointed that out to me, and I felt really stupid afterwards. So the credit goes to her. Yeah. Um, she's like, how did we not see that coming? They told us. And I was like, you're damn right they did. Wow. <laughs> Um, but yeah. And you know what's funny is because during the movie, as he had his mohawk and he was fully powered, I felt like at that point, and that, that arrow is going through the entire ship, just destroying everyone. I'm thinking he might be the strongest guy we have in, in Marvel right now. How would you stop that? And, and they kill him. So I'm like, okay, well, that solves that problem. Yeah, it, 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 it was, it was stunning to me, you know, but, but when, but when the Ravagers showed up, when, when the original Guardians, Alita and Starek, who formed Starhawk, you saw Charlie 27 and Martin X, and then there's some question over whether there, that, that was Vance Astro or Wonder Boy or. Okay. You know, I, I don't know if Vance Astro was in it. I kind of thought I saw him, but if you don't know who Vance Astro is, like, he is the most convoluted comic book character in the history of the world. Like, have some fun reading Vance Astro if you go back and read the original run of Guardians of the Galaxy in the 90s. Like, he alone is worth the run. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that those eggs and, and the Yondu thing, when, when the Ravager showed up and hit the funeral and his best friend, his best mate started crying, like he shouted, yes, I'm not yeah, even going to lie, right. dude. Like I lost it in the theater. Like, <laughs> I was, I was crying so hard when he did that. He's just like, yes. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is no joke. I'm not. <laughs> no, I, I'm laughing because I'm laughing because I believe you really did cry. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, man, I was so saddened by it, but uh, it was so beautifully done. And I also think that the other huge thing for me was obviously the introduction of of the perfect one, the one we know as Adam Warlock. Yeah. Him, 
As soon as um, they showed the cocoon, I said, Adam Warlock. Yeah. <laughs> I got I got so excited. I was just screaming. I'm like, yes! Because yes! I didn't think they'd get to him, to be honest. I didn't think it would be a post-credit thing. I kind of forgot about it as the movie's going. But you knew at some point he had to be introduced before uh, Infinity Wars, you would hope, right? And and I, right there, I'm like, okay. Now I wonder how he gets involved. And, uh, and I'm like, well, at least we know he's coming. Yeah, Adam Warlock is one of the most awesome characters uh, that you will ever see in the Marvel Universe. So I will say that Infinity War was not a solid follow-up to Infinity Gauntlet. It wasn't total crap, but it really – it was one of those things where it was like, come on, Marvel, this was the best you could do. Like his his purged evil side, Megas essentially trying to grab the gauntlet again. Like, we're just doing the same story with a different character. Okay, whatever. But Warlock is still badass because all he does is Warlock does ne- Warlock never concerns himself with anything, and that's what's great about him. He never gets involved in the fight, but he's always the guy who solves it. Yeah. I don't know how that's possible, but he never gets involved and somehow still solves everything. And I, his style too, and his the way he looks, and he's just he's very. I unique. thought it was kind of cool that they're like they used the Contraxians as a way to introduce that he would be gold because he is gold in the comics. Ah, uh, yeah. I was wondering if they were going to keep that look, how they'd introduce it. Will now the Guardians gives us the Contraxians, and the Contraxians are apparently the ones who are going to create. Adam Warlock. Which is fine. That's fine. Yeah. Right. So I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, all right. So I was going to say last thing on Guardians, though. Uh, Star-Lord, they say, you know, he says to his father, if you kill me, uh, or his father says, if you kill me, Ego, uh, you'll you'll be just like them. And so is he powerless now? How does that affect him going forward? You know, does at the you know at the climax of that movie he's pretty powerful and, and there's a lot he could potentially do so i wonder yeah, what the next step for eternity. him is he even yeah right eternity. he says that he says eternity you're right you see his eyes are just the you know what look like eternity and i know what eternity looks like after a very very yeah, very painful thursday <laughs> i'm so close to being done i was so sad i didn't get it finished but uh, it's, it's going to look gorgeous when it's done, man. Like, this thing is going to be the cherry. Um, we're talking about my Marvel sleeve, which I'll post pictures of. All right. So, moving on to the draft. Biggest winner, biggest loser, if there is such a thing. Who do you actually – let's do this easier. Whose draft did you like, and whose draft do you think came up a bit short? Ah, that that's that's you know looking over it, I, and I felt like a lot of teams did well. I honestly did. Uh, this had to be a good draft. When you you can sit back at the end and look at it and go, man, so many of these teams just found value in the second day, some in the third day. A lot of them were smart in the first first two rounds. I, I bet this comes back and we look back and say, this was a extremely good draft. I mean, I loved what the Rams did. I loved what the Bengals did. I mean, we're going to have most of our followers, uh, I really most of our like listeners probably. Did. I, did I do too. They had they had those picks. They they maneuvered and probably fleeced the, 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 the Bears. Still get the guy they want in Solomon Thomas. 
used the, their pick later to move up and get Ruben Foster, and then just went about the draft with, I can't you know, even, that's got to be, aside from that back with, like, the Minnesota, like, poison pill contract, like, that whole back and forth, like, the whole, the Bears trading up to get Trubisky when the Niners were always going to take Solomon Thomas, to me, is the greatest thing in the world. Like, it, it has not made me stop laughing. Like, Chicago gave up so much to move up one spot for a guy the Niners were not going to take. Yeah, they probably were on the phone with him, right, saying, "Oh, we've got the Bears, or we got the Bills moving up. We got the Browns moving up. If you want them, you got to give up a lot of picks to move one spot. It's pretty crazy. Uh, like we talked about earlier on the first down, Bears. They felt like if they felt like Trubisky's that guy, they had to pay whatever the asking price was, and to move one spot. I don't think we'll ever see something like that, uh, you know, for a long time where." You give up multiple picks and first round that picks. GM, to that GM and that head coach are tied to that move. That will do. That will decide their longevity in the league. If Mitch Trubisky turns out to be a franchise quarterback, it all, all is forgiven. To that. Yep. yep. And if it's not, then they may get fired. So no, they probably do get fired. If he's not may good, get, they get fired. May get fired. Right. They get yeah. fired. It's sort of like Mike Ditka may get fired after all those picks he gave up in that tra- in that draft for Ricky Williams. Don't remind me. They offered that to the Bengals. Uh, we always talk about that, how the Bengals oh, don't like Bengals. to trade, and they turned and it they, down. Oh, my goodness, dude. That but is- I do, if we can, I love the Bengals draft this year, and yeah, it kind of went the way expected. I You know, the, the week before, it seemed like a lot of people were on that. They loved John Ross. And, uh, and for me, the cra- crazy part was that Corey Davis went to the Titans and then Mike Williams to the Chargers. I didn't expect that, and I thought all three of these guys were really good receivers, and they had high grades from me. So when they did go top ten, I, it was kind of uh, some satisfaction, of, uh, you know, for myself. But you know, I loved the Corey Davis fit for the Titans. I loved the Mike Williams fit for the for the Chargers. I love John Ross with the Bengals. I think that speed with A.J. Green, you're going to back the safeties up. You've got Eifert and Tyler Boyd over the middle and underneath. And then in the second round, as much as Joe Mixon makes him want to throw up, his talent is tremendous. You know what, though? We talked about Mixon on the Rams podcast, and we talked about him as as a fit in in Los Angeles' offense because – Todd Gurley's strength is not running out of the eye, or excuse me, is not running out of the shotgun formation. His strength at Georgia was always running out of the power eye or, you know, running out of jumbo set formation. That's what Mark Rick is. That's what Mark Rick does. He loves his tight ends. Um, But that obviously doesn't jibe well with what Jared Goff does as a quarterback who prefers to have four and five wide sets and operates much better out of the shotgun formation. Now, that also happens to fall in line with what the league is doing. The league yep. is operating. Every year, it seems to grow. I mean, the last time I saw it, it was like six, some 68% of snaps in the NFL are taken out of shotgun. At that point, you're basically saying seven out of every ten snaps are, are taken in, in out of shotgun. So, like, what? Third down is the only time you're ever under center. Third down or a quarterback. And short. Third and yeah, short. Third, yeah. third and short. So, I mean, 
Joe Mixon to the Bengals, I think, just makes him that much more dangerous coming out of the backfield now. And the same things you talk about Todd Gurley struggling is the same things Jeremy Hill struggles with and then the Bengals offense where they have to get him under center, they have to get a fullback in front of him, they have to run power. And that's not them. They're not built to do it. That's not the rest of their offense. It's not how Andy Dalton is. Rams had to draft a damn fullback just to make it work. And I'm a thousand percent positive that they drafted a fullback to aid Todd Gurley. Oh, sure. And so for me, I wanted a guy that can run out of shotgun. I wanted a guy that could help the passing offense. Joe Mixon does that. He's extremely talented. I thought he was the best running back in the draft just based on talent. And being young, being a big guy with that athleticism, I think he could, him and Ross, go back-to-back in the first two rounds. I think this Bengals offense, weapon-wise, stands with anybody in the league, and that gets me excited. I think their offensive line sucks, and they took one pick in the fifth round. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for Jay- Andrew Whitworth, by the way. Yeah, and, and we lost Kevin Zeitler. They're two best guys, and they were already a bad offensive line. So they're in for I don't know how they get around this and how they, they gotta, they're going to have to spread it out and be quick passing, but it's going to affect them. Um, but I, then they come back and get Jordan Willis and Carl Lawson, the next two picks, and I'm like, there's your pass rushers. They needed two of them. You get two guys that fell. I like the chances on both of them in, in, for the rounds that, that, that like they're taking. I like Carl Lawson. I think there's a lot more there. I think he's raw, but I think you you can see it in Lawson that I would, I don't know, I project him more as an outside linebacker, I would think. They listed him as Sam linebackers when they drafted him. So Okay, so that would, that would make sense because, I mean, at Auburn, maybe he puts his hand in the dirt, but no, I mean, that's that's not where he excels, I don't think. Um, I think he can do it, but I understand what they're doing with, they've always looked for, and Marvin Lewis has always done this since his Baltimore days, is look for that hybrid guy in a 4-3, a guy you think would be It's the same as it was Wade Phillips. Yeah, it looks yeah, like Joker. Right, it's the, it's the over-under front where you can get that same linebacker on the line of scrimmage, and it really beats up that defensive line, really helps against the run, and then allows him to kick down at defensive end and nickel, they did it with David Pollock. One of my, one of Marvin Johnson, Marvin Johnson, Marvin Lewis's first draft picks was David Pollock, and you know his idea of using him in that same role. And he's always tried to find that guy after Pollock got hurt uh, early in his career. He's always tried to draft one or a guy that was very similar, and it hasn't worked out. I think Carl Lawson might be the kind of guy he's always looked for. And, and if that's the case, if he, if he pans out. Uh, I really like the idea of having both of those guys. I have Willis, the way he tested and his production are off the charts. Uh, I like the chance of taking that guy in the third round and rolling the dice on a guy that's super athletic and super productive, even if I didn't love the film. And, and throughout the draft, I think to finish it off, they, they really nailed all the rest of the picks with getting a kicker, getting another receiver in Josh Malone out of Tennessee, who's, who ran the second fast. Uh, fastest 40 at the combine and a guy who's 6'3 and some change looks like Chris Henry with his long athletic build and uh, they just went through the draft and grabbed athletes grabbed speed and I love and we that got a question about that it. for Mark Jarvis man like he wanted to know if Dealman could push Bodine for the starting center job obviously that's something that would be directed at you I'll get to his uh, Ubicam and Ewan Price and okay. John Johnson but uh, I mean how, how are you feeling about how are you feeling about Dealman and Bodine? Bodine, first of all, has progressed a little bit in his three years um, with the Bengals. He's still bad overall. They've 
taken away a lot of his responsibilities. And that's what happens a lot of times when we think of development or a guy's improving. A lot of times it's the teams realizing he can't pull or he can't do this at the second level, and we just won't ask him to do it that much. Uh, we can't reach blocks, so let's stop asking him to do it and put a little bit more on our guards. And that's what they've done. So eliminated some of the some of the plays where they know or responsibilities where they know he's going to fail and it looks like he's improved when really it's just them being smarter with him so I think that the center is still a big issue but when you watch Dealman he's only played five games at center and he got hurt uh, I don't know what he is and watching him on tape he's got a long way to go and a fifth round pick I don't think he's going to push him I think if anyone's going to push him Maybe it's Christian Westerman, who they drafted last year in, as a guard center type. They didn't give him many snaps at center, but maybe this year they do. Uh, I just don't think that center is on the roster right now. I think it's Odin again, and we'll see if they, they draft someone next year. So uh, with Ubicam, um he's already actually stated that he's going to be playing at outside linebacker. Um, uh, he he actually said that outside linebacker uh, and rushing the passer is where he's going to fit in best in Wade Phillips' scheme. So that answers that question of uh, inside or outside. He, he flat said he's playing outside. Um, as to whether Juan Price will make the team, I, everyone I've talked to in the world thinks that Juan Price was an absolute steal. Um, and and, and the, the only reason that he went where he went is because he's undersized. But the Rams have had some pretty damn good success with undersized interior linemen from Pitts. So I think after the last one they drafted – they're okay with taking a chance on a guy that absolutely destroyed the backfield at Pitt. Like, players make plays. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're undersized. Aaron Donald was undersized until he wasn't undersized. You know what I mean? Like He wasn't undersized the first time you put the tape on. First, That was the easiest evaluation of my life, Aaron Donald. Saw him from day one and said, that guy is a stud. And it was the first day of the Senior Bowl when he was killing people. I said, let me go back and look at this tape. And that's easily, he should have been a top three pick from that day. And uh, the Rams got lucky. Yeah, the Rams absolutely stole one with him. Um, I do think, I think Juan Price is a guy that's going to make the team. I think that uh, Aaron Donald's the perfect mentor for him. Um, and, and so uh, you will see that. Um, whether John Johnson or Mo Alexander, if you're talking about this year, I think it's still probably Mo Alexander. Um, maybe down the line, you probably see John Johnson start to get integrated into the offense a little bit more. But I think Wade Phillips is going to trust experience over rookies. There's already quite a bit of change going on with the Rams that you need to have as much stability as you can in one of the areas where the Rams have had no stability for the past couple of seasons has been in the secondary. And shaking it up once again with John Johnson just gives you another variable that you don't know, whereas Mo Williams, you know what he is, you know what he can do. Wade Phillips is going to know how to use him. Um, am I wrong? <laughs> I mean, is John Johnson from your evaluations going to light it up? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't watch much John Johnson, so I'll take your word for it. All right. I didn't watch any John Johnson. 
but no, no, I, I, that's not true. But no, I, I, I don't think that he supplants Mo Williams, and if he does, it'll be towards the end of the season. I think that the, the Rams are going to go with experience over uh, over most things, uh, though I would suspect that there, everybody should be uh, expected to compete for their positions this year, new coaching change and all that. Uh, our last bit. Um, oh, okay, here's a question for you from Joe Marciano, who says, which quarterback plays in the new L.A. Stadium? Goff, Rivers, both, or neither? Oh, okay, yeah, because it's a few years out. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of the question. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. I don't know. Um, you could say neither if you say golf ends up being a bust, never gets his chance. You could say Rivers retires by then or goes somewhere else, goes somewhere else by then. Uh, I think the safe bet is to say golf, just based on age and likelihood that he's still starting in a couple of years. I'm going to say neither. That's fair. I think you can say that and say that, you know, by that time, Rivers is old and Goff busted. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm not, I, I genuinely hope Goff has all the success in the world, but until I see it manifest itself on the football field, I cannot force myself to believe in it. Um, I think, I think another, that's fair. I mean, <laughs> another thing I can't force myself to believe is that Cyclops is worth a crap as a character. Yeah, this is fourth down. Fourth down. Fourth down. Cyclops but, is awesome. So, uh, are you making lunches over there? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you could hear that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was, I've been packing up because we bought a new house and we're moving. Uh, and I've been packing up and I was looking. I'm up in my office area right now and I've got a lot of collectibles and toys. Yeah. And, uh, the I had to say, have to go up. Yeah, and you get all those extra heads on, on like, the Marvel Legends and stuff. So I had a baggie in my hand, and I'm going through it like, man, I haven't seen so many of these in forever And I, as I'm talking to you. So I'm sorry. I didn't know you could hear that. No, no. It's absolutely forgivable if you're going through Marvel Legends. Um, it's just a shame that Marvel Heroes Omega is not a worthwhile game for the PlayStation 4. <laughs> no, so it's not. I, I didn't know. No, it's not. They decided to basically make it, like, it, after you hit level ten, you basically have to purchase everything. Like it, 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 it. It's not designed to be a game that you you get stuff, you get rewards by succeeding within the game. It's designed oh. to open up your wallet, and to that end, it can kiss my rear because yeah. I hate I hate freemium games. I think that they're so disrespectful to the consumer. Especially when you're building it as an MMORPG, and then at the last second you say, but we also need about 20 to 30 to $50 of your money if you really want to enjoy this what game. Was that, what was that mobile game that I'm thinking about it that was Marvel? Marvel, uh... What was it, Contest of Champions or Puzzle Quest? No, I'm thinking uh, War of Heroes or something where you get cards. Did you okay, play that? I know I know what you're talking about. Um are you are you talking about the one way back in the day or are you talking about no, the just recently the mobile app? Yeah, like four years ago, three years yeah, ago. Yeah, I, I think didn't... I know what you're talking about. I didn't play it, but I think my roommate did, where you had different cards that you could lay down and they had different attributes. Yeah. And that was actually at first it wasn't that good and they they wanted your money more and more and more. 
but you know they ended up having like events where they would do uh, Avengers versus X Men, and they'd go through the whole storyline, which was pretty cool to to do that. I think a lot of people might have uh, got you know firsthand in some big storyline on comics, and that, you know if you're gonna do it to where it's a money or a cash grab, at least you can educate some people a little bit on some Marvel history, and I think at least they did that. I don't know what happened to that game though. I didn't I didn't stay with it. Yeah, much like all things, as soon as people stop playing it a little, it fades out. I'm a sucker for the Marvel goods and gear boxes that come from Loot Crate. They're just Marvel, but they're they're specifically designed with Marvel goods and gear. And so far, like, the utility of the items has been pretty outstanding. Like, I get stuff like plates, like a headlamp that I can use for, for camping or even just in the middle of the night, like reading comics, it works perfect. Like you can, you can click it three times. Once is like a, a flashing light to signal somebody. Another is like a brighter light. And then one is a dull light. So it was, it was in my Wolverine, uh, uh, weapon X bag, which also came with a bag, by the way. So that was pretty cool too. And supposedly in this next one, I'm getting a shirt, and then in the one after that, I I think I'm getting Spider-Man swim trunks, because they said it's Spider-Man. That would be cool. And that it's shorts-related, and I can't see him sending out actual shorts, like, in the middle of June. Like, what would you right. send somebody? Like, you'd send them swim trunks, Right. Like, so I have a feeling that they're going to end up being, like, some Spider-Man, like, swim shorts or board or shorts. Or shorts or something. I would yeah, that would be, yeah, I would take some Spider-Man basketball shorts. Just something in in the coolest summer. So I'm pretty excited about that. But Speaking of Loot Crate, life. though, just for a second, maybe we can get a sponsorship out of this. Uh, I do the Loot Crate Halo, which is awesome. And if you like Halo and the lore behind Halo is extremely deep, um, they do a great job with it, and I've had a great time. A lot of my favorite collectibles have come from that. And uh, for my son, I get the Minecraft box, which has surprisingly actually been pretty good, and he's had a great time with that. So uh, Loot Crate is fun, especially if you can narrow it down to what you like. I don't think the general boxes really will end yeah, up in your Right, because they're hit or miss because they're, they can be very acute in what they're you know what they're going for. But I think if you find a, a brand you really like in a loot box, you'll probably end up pretty yeah, happy. Yeah, they they've done well to expand themselves to offering like loot crates, Marvel goods and gear. Like all I'm getting are Marvel centric things. Cool. Right. That's all I want. Exactly. Send me Marvel stuff. Do not send me anything that's related to DC. Like, back when they had the the heroes and the villains box, like, I was so upset because the shirt ended up being a jokey shirt, like a play on Joker and Loki. And I'm like, I I don't care for the Joker. This shirt is crap, and I'm never going to wear it. And the next (laughs) one was a... And the next one was a Punisher shirt, but the logo was made out of white fluffy kittens curled up. And I'm like, you cannot wear a Punisher shirt with fluffy <laughs> white kittens. Like, so I've never worn any of those shirts. As a matter, but of I got a, I got an awesome Venom bug out of that. So, yeah, I mean, every once in a while you get something cool out of those regular loot crate boxes, but for the most part they were. They were they're really hit or miss. It's 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 yes. like you said, it's all about finding the centric ones because they do a really, really good job with those. 
and that's probably our overtime down, so we can leave it at that and talk about collectibles anytime on, on over, overtime. But let's get back to fourth time. Let's get back to Cyclops and talk yes, about Yes, because right, this so is important. You, you claim he's good. Sell me on it. Cyclops is one of my favorite characters, and mostly, I would say, because of the 90s animated X-Men is awesome and up there with some of the best cartoons you can find, especially for, for comic book cartoons. But... Cyclops. I think the movies have made him look weak, look, make him look worse than he's been. I, I think the last 15 years has not done service for him outside of some comics. But, you know, for me, I think of some great moments where where Avengers versus X-Men and the first half of that where, and especially the scene where the Avengers show up and you know, they pretty much tell you, tell him that we got to take your daughter in because the Phoenix Force is coming for her, and he's not backing down. And just in a blink of an eye, he shoots his his optic beam right at Captain America, just launches him 200 yards into the ocean, and basically there he just uh, he declares war against the Avengers. I, I mean, there's so many for me moments where he shows that he is the leader. He is powerful. He is strong, even though he's extremely emotional, uh, and, and for right reason. I mean, you see what happens to Jean Grey and how he gets played by Mr. Sinister so many times and, and, and things like that. I think that he's complex, but at the same time, um, there's a lot of moments where... This is the same guy who married a guy, I believe, had a kid with her, and then left her, right? We're talking about that illegitimate father who abandoned his child, him. He's had a lot of bad moments. He's had a lot of. I just, I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to make sure we, that the world knew we were defending a degenerate father. Listen, we we defend Tony Stark. We defend a lot of bad heroes. I didn't defend Tony. I didn't defend Tony Stark. I said he. A lot of people will. Oh, okay, that's fine. Being a garbage person and make bad decisions when you're a mutant that has been ridiculed and and pushed out and had a lot of bad things happen to you. You know, Spider one of the most helps himself along, like his little affair with Emma Frost. Like he didn't, sure. he didn't, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to. I understand why he left his ex-wife, but he didn't have to do that stuff. He left the X-Men to go be with her. You can't yes. then be. Are like, you turning down Emma Frost? Who's turning down Emma Frost? I'm not turning down Emma Frost in any form, diamond form or otherwise. <laughs> especially if January Jones is playing her. But very, very fair. <laughs> but. And if you keep going with him, I mean, he ends up being like the current Magneto. Like, he's the leader of the X-Men that feel like they're the righteous side, you know. He ends up taking that kind of role, and I love the arc of him overall. I think he's he should be the the Captain America version of the X-Men, and that's how I see him. So when uh, – and I think that's very similar, and I think Captain America has been, you know, pushed to the forefront of, of – Marvel just from the MCU, and I wish Cyclops was shown well, in the same Captain light. I think Captain America was always in the in, at the forefront. I think sure, but you looked Cyclops. at him like like a like a Boy Scout, and I think a lot of that has gone to Cyclops. But he's much more than that. He's much more complex. He's much stronger. There, there's a scene where uh, the Sentinels are attacking um, the 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 mansion, right? And the X Men are getting their ass kicked. They're they're getting their asses handed to them, and 
uh, Cyclops has had enough, and he says, everyone, get behind me. And even Wolverine jumps behind him. He rips his goggles off. He lifts his visors off, and he just rips a hole through the earth, rips a hole through the middle of the Sentinel. And Wolverine says to him, you know, Scott, sometimes I forget, and I don't, now I remember why you're the leader. And it's because he he doesn't always show that power and that strength, but, man, he has it, and his moments are so awesome for me. I'll grant you that he has some awesome moments. I just feel like he brings some moments that would be sponsored by Tampax on him <laughs> on himself. And he does it with such great frequency that it's why I don't look at him like it's why I look at people like, you know, Emma Frost when she's the leader of the X Men or you Storm. know, uh, Storm, you know, I look at them with more authority. Like, I Beast. mean, I, I mean, I thought Storm did a crap job of being the leader of the X-Men and the Queen of Wakanda, but I don't think anyone could excel at that job. But <laughs> I just don't think that the two are, uh, I think they're diametrically opposed, if if, if I may. Um, sure. But, you know, look, he has raw power, but I just feel like he brings so much BS upon himself and that this is a guy who's done so much bad crap in the name of himself that it's hard for me to dig him as a character. But I feel like this is super important, too. I was a Wolverine guy, and you can't be a Wolverine guy without having some anti-bias towards Scott. Summers. That's it, then. Right? You've got to the bottom of it. Right, 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 right. And 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 I'm I'm fully willing to admit that because no Scott Summers fan can can be unbiased about Wolverine. Like the that you know if you're. If you're a Scott Summers fan, you kind of look at Wolverine like a, a girlfriend stealing prick. You know, yeah. like uh, it's never, it's funny never, because never mind the fact that Scott Summers is a degenerate cheater himself, but no, come well, on, God, God, <laughs> God forbid Wolverine actually get the woman he loves, even though he has to kill her. The Wolverine has had uh, countless women, so you can't use that like That's oh true. the woman he loves. I mean, yeah, he had a thing for, her, but come on, he would have he would have kept moving hey, on just like he's always had in, in the nineties comics, man. He always loves Jean. I still remember the end of the of the Dark Phoenix when he's like Jean. Ah, uh, man, the, the great thing the great thing about that show was that I feel like they showed a great balance of Cyclops versus Wolverine. Yeah, because. Both of those guys, like, I've read an article in favor of Cyclops. Like, I've I've read an article about why, if you look at how tortured the guy is, some of the decisions he's had to make, like, the decisions, the deaths that he's had to preside over, like, he's had a rough life. Like, it's no doubt, like, he's been the one that's had to make some of these calls, and a lot of that falls on him, and he has to shoulder it, and so you can sort of understand him acting like a vagina at other times. It it makes sense, you know. Um, But at the same time... Spider-Man has dealt with worse, and he's not a vagina. Right, right, right. I I, I just... Man, I mean... Look, the thing thing about most... Like, Emma Frost has had more backbone than Scott Summers. Like, 
Well, you that's know, her, though. She's always cold. She's always diamond-hearted. I mean, I don't mean to be punny about it, but she that's all oh, she's always been. Yeah. I, I, mean, I like I that Cyclops is up and down. I like that he's changed who he is from... The, you know, when they show him when he's young, meeting Gene and getting, starting with the X-Men to when the X-Men are at their prime to when losing Gene to losing Professor X to fighting with Wolverine all the time to eventually replacing Magneto as, like, the, the go-to guy in Genosha. And, you know, that arc, he has a lot of it. He's got a lot of ups and downs. He makes a lot of mistakes. He's had a lot of fucked-up shit happen to him, too. So, you know, for me, I... Oh, I always sided with Cyclops in the in the battle with Wolverine and when fighting for the same girl and fighting for kind of leadership of the X-Men at times uh, because I felt like he had the team in mind first and Wolverine didn't always. He was more rogue. He did things, uh, you know, to benefit himself way more. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no arguing that. Like, Wolverine is the king of being selfish to the end that, Jean was sort of the queen of being selfless. And I don't know. I thought my favorite moments were with Storm as the leader. I thought she provided the most stability to them. I felt like things were up and down so much with Cyclops. Uh, Storm probably had the most tumultuous, like, reign of anybody. But I feel like I'll say this. Right now, as as they're currently right, rewriting the X Men, Kitty Pride is in charge. I'm I'm really, really, really enjoying Kitty Pride leading really? the X Men. Yeah, Kitty Pride has taken over for Storm. And for those who don't know Kitty Pride, like she's pretty much one of the most awesome characters in the comics. Like I love Kitty Pride. Like. She's a badass with just the simplest of powers. Like They've never done her justice in the movies. So if no, you only know her from have. the movies, she's got so much more to her. Yeah, it's 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 actually kind of disturbing that that she got kinky jinked in Days of Future Past and that there's actually a rogue cut instead of a Kitty Pride cut. Like yeah. think, well, why do we have a rogue cut? What the hell does she have to do with anything? Um yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I'll listen to an argument about Cyclops, but, but, but I, at the end of the day, I'm a Wolverine guy, so I got my bias. You're a Cyclops guy, so you got your bias. That argument's going nowhere. Where yeah, are you going? Bias. Nowhere. Like I, <laughs> like I said, I was packing up a lot of my toys and collectibles, and I've got, you know, a few Cyclops things sitting here, and I left them out knowing we talk about them. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, yeah, actually, I don't have anything Wolverine at all in my collection. And maybe that's why. Because I was a yeah. young man, and Wolverine was trying to steal Jean Grey from Cyclops, and I don't like it. I have I have no – I have Wolverines, um, but I have absolutely no Cyclops. I passed on him. I have She-Hulk. I have a Doc Ock. Actually, why do I have a Doc Ock? I don't know what. Where the hell did I get what, Doc Ock from? What Doc Ock do you have? I don't have a Doc Ock. A Pop. <laughs> oh, okay. Doc Ock, Doc Ock Pop. I have way too many Pops as I'm looking at them. I have. I. I. I'm. I'm starting. I need to collect actual figures, but I'm presently doing that on my arm. And as soon That's as right. I'm. As soon as I'm done with that. I'm going to start collecting things in other ways. I'm just, 
I'm all about Marvel Unlimited right now. That's that's, okay. <laughs> that's for my life is that, man. That's where that's going. That's where that's going. Man. Yeah, that's, I've I've got to start budgeting on my collecting. Uh, the last year I've gone heavy and because uh, I had a little bit of dis- disposable money, so I, I did do that. But uh, I got a statue, a Venom statue coming in uh, I think August or September. And when that comes, that'll probably be my last big purchase for a while. But man, I I can't wait for that with the McFarlane head on it too, with that classic that, look. It's gonna uh, be awesome. That's gonna look gorgeous. I actually have a uh, it's drawn up by Mike Diodato, but it's a it's a Carnage, but it's from the Marvel Comics '92 era, so you get Carnage looking all McFarlane like yeah, maximum I mean, Carnage. Yeah, it's it's sort of. It's got Venom on there with Spidey, Hobgoblin in the background, with Sh- or Demon Goblin in the background with Shriek. And, you know, man, the only thing that I would say about Maximum Carnage is that that was an absolutely fantastic arc with a crap ending. <laughs> Just Eddie Brock straight into a generator, and that was that. All right, cool. I guess so. All right. Four, 14 books later and all it takes <laughs> And Eddie Brock, Eddie Brock always comes back. As we see now, I mean, it's kind of topical that uh, they just announced Tom Hardy is going to play Eddie Brock in the Venom movie. And Venom current run right now, they brought back Eddie Brock, and uh, that seems to be doing pretty well. And uh, yeah. I've got a few issues coming in. I can't wait to dig into that. Yeah, I'll ask you. We'll we'll do this as overtime quickly, and then we'll get the hell out of here, man. Um, I feel like that being mentioned is pretty big news for us because you and I are big fans of the symbiotes, but both of us have our reservations because it's been stated that Spider-Man isn't going to be a part of this, but where do you get Brock without Peter? Everything, like, even the suit comes in through Peter. Yeah. Like, I mean... A lot of his powers. I mean, he webs slings, and, you know, he's got a spider on his chest and back. He, His eyes pretty much come from Spider-Man. He, he gets a lot of what Venom is, is from Spider-Man. A lot of the rage that Brock and the symbiote share are from Peter Parker and Spider-Man. They feel rejected. They feel like they've been dumped. Uh, it fuels a lot of what they do and a lot of their motivation, a lot of their personality. I don't know how you have Venom without Spider-Man. Yeah, I'm curious, like, we both are in the boat of Tom Hardy is going to crush this role, right? Yeah. Like, we, we just assume that. That's that's a foregone conclusion. It's yeah. How good is this script going to be? Exactly. Because Tom Hardy was in another fairly decent movie, and then at the end, it just nosedived off. Like, Catwoman showed up, depressed a button on a bicycle, and that ended yeah. Bane. I, he, took over, he took over Gotham and held control of it for six months, but son of a bitch, one press of a button, and he was gone. Like, that to me was one of the like, – I was so pissed. Like, at that moment, I decided this movie is bull. (laughs) I was like, this is garbage. Bane deserves better. I I just have so many reservations about Sony and what they want with their Marvel larger, you know, with their Spider-Man universe, I should say. Uh, You know, you hear the Black Cat and Sable talk for a movie, the Venom and Carnage, you know, potentially Carnage, definitely have Venom. Uh, I just don't know what their plan is. I, You know, for me, I would love if 
they still found a way, and maybe it's not Peter Parker MCU and Spider-Man in their their now new universe, but maybe they. Uh, what's Tobey Maguire doing? I, I think that might be a stretch, but <laughs> what if it's just a faceless Spider-Man? They just show the background of Venom, and the first twenty minutes is you know from Venom's perspective. We don't see who's under the mask of Spider-Man. Maybe he's wearing a different costume, something that's unrelated to their to the first trilogy, second trilogy, and the current MCU, and they show it that way, from that angle of Venom. I, I just think you have to include it somehow. Yeah, I I am 100% in agreement with you. I, I think that there needs to be, even even if you use it as almost the same way that the MCU and the television alludes to things that happen on the big screen, even though there's no direct interplay between the two, even if you just allude and you talk about and, and, and because Brock is the king of inner monologue, he's the king of inner dialogue. Like we are always talking to ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, you know, exactly. And, 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 and Brock is always talking to himself and, and the symbiote is always talk like they are having a conversation at all times. And Most of the dialogue should be between them two. Yeah, it's, a, and, it's an inner battle between himself. And, and 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 if Brock, if if you can do the story of Spider-Man, like and 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 lay that out either through flashbacks, just it doesn't have to be a Spider-Man there. You can just see, you know, uh, f- just kicking with colors that you would recognize like exactly a, a punch yep. here a, a, a foot here just you could even distort it as if the symbiote is remembering it in a different way you know so yeah it, like the symbiote views spider-man as the as the bad guy so you know he maybe he looks a little different maybe like i'm thinking of like a um, like like spider the- carnage you know, almost where he's like, uh, uh, you know, he's got his face, his mask is ripped, or he, he looks like he's... Or he's the he, doppelganger. Exactly, right. And and from the symbiote's perspective, and he's trying to convince Brock that, yeah, this guy's bad, you know, this you should hate him, yada, yada, until they... And the symbiote would know it's Peter, but you... It, I mean, we're talking that would have to be in the same universe. They, they uh, He's going to fight somebody else. He's going to have a different uh, objective, but... You know, at some point, I, they should have some open dialogue with each other or a debate with each other and bring up Spider-Man and bring up how it happened and why they're angry and why they have their powers. Yeah, I, I'm in 100% agreement. That's that's Really, for me, that's the most important thing. As long as you lay that out some way, I don't really care how you carry right. out the rest of the movie. I'll be, I will be curious to see what you could possibly introduce that will be entertaining, but as long as you remain true to the fundamentals of Brock and don't try and turn him into, if you want to go with the flash Thompson version, like that would be great, but that they're not going to do that. They're going with Eddie. Yeah, Brock. Flash is way less interesting. He may make better sense for a movie of, you know, a guy wearing a suit, a former, he would make uh, better it, sense as a guy departed from Peter because right. he's, sort of did go on to do his own thing as Agent Venom. And, exactly. And, and and when Parker died in the Ultimate Universe, Flash was like, he flat said, was I the last person to know that Peter Parker was Spider-Man? Like, he asked that question, like, after Peter Parker died in the Ultimate Universe, and everyone was like, uh, 
well, we will, we would like to tell you no, but yeah, <laughs> you know, you were the last person to know. So and and especially if you want to make Venom a hero, uh, I think Flash makes sense if you're doing that. But they've they clearly said it was Eddie Brock that he's playing. But Eddie Brock can play somewhat of a hero. He's kind of uh, I think it's a Venom lethal protector where he's kind of trying to do that a little bit, but he's the symbiote's violent, and I think that's the angle they need to play. Uh, that maybe he's trying to do some good or he's conflicted with it, with himself and with the symbiote. And so he's kind of a, uh, you know, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But at the end, you know, I don't know which direction they're going to take it. It sounds like they're, it's going to be an R-rated horror or a PG-13 horror film. I'm interested in how they do it, but I'm with you. As long as you correctly give us his background and and, and how it should be, from there, have some freedom. But... There is a 15-minute window. Me either. I don't either, and that's why it's so scary. There's a 15-minute window out of a two-hour movie where I need something specific. And if you can't give me that, I'm going to lose faith in the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. So, and the the crazy thing is, is I just don't trust Sony, especially because if if it is rated R, it's not a project Kevin Feige will care to have input on, which means it's going to be strictly on... Sony to to determine the quality of this film, and they have been lacking so far in that department. And, and so, that's the crazy part, too, because they know they could probably make a lot of money if they allowed Marvel to get their hands on this project and allow Venom to be in the MCU and, and have this be the way it should be. Venom could be an awesome villain for the entire MCU. All symbiotes could be. And it's probably an untapped you know, end to a phase of a, of an Avengers film or something. And it just, for them to push it and rush it and want to be separate is odd to me and, and sets off some internal alarms. Yeah, it says to me that they don't feel like they have support from Marvel going forward with things. And I'm I my question to them would be, do you not have the support because your ideas suck or because you right. just feel like you don't have the support? You know what I mean? Like, that yeah. would be my question to them, that and only that. So I, I think their ideas suck. Yeah. Um, so with that, why don't we tell the people where we can find us on Twitter and we'll get the hell out of here. Uh, 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 anything upcoming that you'd like to direct people to, direct their attention to? I would say find me on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry, just the way it sounds, G-O-O-D-B-E-R-R-Y, Goodberry. Um, I've got some fun things, especially if you're a Bengals fan. I've got some big things coming, hopefully in the summer. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want anybody to jump on it or influence it too much because I think I really got something coming good. But we're a few months away. I've been slowly working at it. And, uh, you know, on Twitter, though, let's talk anything, even if you're not a Bengals fan, I'm open to any conversation. I usually reply to everyone. So uh, that's where you can find me. And you can find me on Twitter at Fight on Twist. I write for the Marvel Report. I do uh, comic book reviews and varying opinions about uh, Marvel properties and different things like that. Um, so you can find me there. Uh, you can also find me on Turf Show Times, which is SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles Rams, the host of Turf Show Radio. Uh, and occasionally at the season, I contribute for Cal and USC at Athlon Sports. So that'll do it for us on this episode of Third Nerd. We appreciate you hanging around. 
Uh, we apologize about the brief technical glitch at the beginning, though you likely won't even notice it with a little bit of clever editing. Um, <laughs> we would have done overtime, but we inverted overtime with fourth down. So uh, for the future, overtime is when you send us your questions and we spend time nerding out on topics you want to hear. So uh, send those questions in next time, and we are going to try and be more consistent about having this done on a weekly basis so you guys know when to send stuff in. We, we understand that we haven't been good about that, which makes it difficult for you guys to keep track of when we're doing this. So we will be better at that. Um, so just send us your questions, and we'll catch you next time here on 3rd and Nerd.